Well, hey, I want to welcome you this morning to the Ridge Church, and if you're joining us by live stream, I welcome you as well. Uh, excited that you are here and uh, joining with us. As many of you know, we've been doing a series uh, from the book of Revelation, and so I have the privilege this morning to come out of Revelation chapter 4. So if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 4, we're going to look at these 11 verses, and I said it in the first two services, uh, I'm going to talk fast, surprise, surprise. But I know you guys are great at listening fast. I still didn't talk fast enough in the second service, I'm telling you. And I, I really apologize for that. Uh, but anyhow, uh, excited to be, able to, to be able to share with you this morning. So the verses will also come up on the screen. And so uh, we're going to jump right in and get started here. Let's pray together first. Father, again, we just pause and, and uh, Lord, just had a time to be able to worship you in song. And Lord, as we continue now to learn and worship you in, in the word. Uh, God, I... Uh, you already know because you know everything, but God, again, I don't say this. Uh, you know that I'm a thousand percent aware of the fact that I do not have the ability to, to deliver this message. And God, I'm, I'm thankful again this morning that we are not dependent upon a man, but we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And God, we really ask you to teach us what you want us to know. And uh, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the credit. You are amazing. And uh, you're worthy. We love you and we thank you. We ask it again in the strong name of our King Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to jump right in. So Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, after these things. Let's stop right there, okay? Everybody say, after these things. After say, after these things. So what does that mean, after these things? Well, what it means is this, after these things, okay? So in other words, everything that we've talked about so far leading up to this, including the letters to the seven churches, now all of a sudden we are shifting into the next section, if you would. We're turning a significant corner, and this is where we're going to be for the majority of the rest of the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, if you'd look with me very quickly, it'll be on the screen to Revelation 119. Uh, notice what it says. This is the very first chapter a few weeks ago whenever we started. We talked about this. Whenever John is beginning to see this vision for the first time of the resurrected or the, uh, the exalted Christ, it says, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Say are, are. the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. Say after this. So now he's saying, okay, the things that are were the seven churches. Now we're stepping into the things after this, okay? And that's why we begin with the words, after these things, all right? We're going back to uh, verse 1. The next words are, after these things, I looked, okay? Now I want, you to, I want you to notice that this is not a casual look, but this is a look of astonishment. I'm telling you, John is absolutely flabbergasted. He is absolutely astounded in every way. And one of the reasons why we know that is because of the word, and behold. I mean, I'm telling you, he's standing there going, I looked, and behold. I mean, this guy is passionately just blown away with what he's seeing. And let me tell you what scripture says that he's seeing. A door standing open in heaven, okay? Aren't you thankful that door is open today? Amen. And Jesus is the only one that opens that door because Jesus is the one that came and died and rose again. And the only thing that gives us favor with God is the blood of Christ. If he would have said, I'm going to make a deal with you and I'm going to come to rescue you 99.9% .9 of the way, we'd still have to go to hell because one iota of sin disqualifies us because we have a holy, perfect God that can't even hang out with sin. So he rescued us 100% of, of the way. And as sincerely as we know how, if we've surrendered to Jesus... <coughs> 
We are covered by the blood of Christ, past, present, and future sins. And the only reason why that door to heaven is open is because of him. And, but now we're seeing John getting ready <coughs> to actually step into heaven with this vision. And he's absolutely astounded because of the door that's open in heaven. The word heaven, unique word there because this is the place that's used whenever Jesus ascended back into heaven. This is the throne room of God himself. The throne room of God himself. Uh, this is what in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, it refers to as the third heaven. Now, you may say, are the three heavens? Well, it refers to the third heaven because sometimes you'll hear people say, and even scripture says, look into the heavens. And they're not talking about looking into the throne room of God. They're talking about looking into the stars, looking into the sky. And so the first heaven, scholars say, is our Earth's atmosphere. The second heaven would be the, the outside of that, the interplanetary and interstellar space that's, uh, you know... Uh, outside of our earth's atmosphere, but this is the throne room of God. This heaven is where Jesus ascended to. This is where John is being invited to from Jesus himself through a door that John could not open and you and I cannot open, but a door that was opened by God himself, okay? So after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice, everybody say first voice. Whenever I first read that, it almost indicates there's gonna be a second voice in a couple verses, okay? But that's not what it's saying. Whenever he's saying the first voice, he's saying he's reflecting back to Revelation chapter 1 to a voice that he's already familiar with. As a matter of fact, it's found in Revelation 1.10. Whenever Jesus first talked to him, and what did his voice sound like? Like a trumpet, right? And so he's saying the first voice, the voice of Jesus, I know who this is that's talking to me. And the first voice, which I heard, was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, Come up here. Again, Jesus is the only one that can invite. And aren't we thankful for that? He's the only one that can arrange our ability to be forgiven by God because of his blood. So he says, come up here and I will show you things which must, must take place after this. Moving on to verse 2, let's see what those things are that must take place. Immediately I was in the spirit. What does that mean? It means this was a supernatural event. Supernaturally, he was seeing this vision uh, and, and I'm telling you, there was nothing of John in it, and it was all God's. And behold, he's still pretty excited, isn't he? A throne set in heaven, and the one, capital O, set on the throne. So God is on the throne, and this throne isn't just a piece of furniture, okay? A lot of times whenever I think of a throne, I might think of something like that, but I'm telling you, this throne was a place in which God's power emanated. It was a place, it was a symbol of God's rule and authority, and that God himself was sitting on this throne. Then we go to verse 3, and it says, and he, being God, who sat there was like jasper and, sardis, uh, and a sardis stone in, the, in his appearance. He was like a jasper and a sardis stone. Later on in the book of Revelation, that jasper stone is stated to be a crystal clear stone. It would almost look more like a diamond. It's not a diamond. It's a jasper. And you know how we know that? Because the Bible's inerrant, infallible, and it says it's jasper, okay? But I'm telling you, if you ever notice a very clear, beautiful stone like that, whenever the light hits it, you see a prism of about every light that's ever been created, so I want you just to imagine what he, God's appearing like those two stones in that image of, of a jasper and a sardis stone. The sardis stone, uh, as a matter of fact, was the stone that the city of Sardis, we studied the, the church to Sardis not too long ago, who they were named after, and it was a fiery blood red stone. So man, can you imagine the beauty? But many people believe that it's not only representing how beautiful you know, just the beauty of his glory, which we'll never comprehend 
But the fact that there was, it was blood red, it was fiery, the fact that what we're going to see here in a short time with thunder and lightning was it was also a picture that even though God is a beautiful God and, and he's full of glory, that his wrath is getting ready to hit the world like it's never hit before. Hey, there's our Senegal team. Everybody wave. Everybody applaud for the Senegal team. They are leaving right now. We love you guys. Can't wait to see you. All right. Thomas, uh, a wife and son is heading your way. So don't run off just yet. The flight will wait. Okay. The plane will wait. So, all right. All right. Love you guys. Thank you. I'm glad they came in and waved. So anyhow, but I can tell you that many people are saying this isn't just about the glory and the beauty of God, but this is about the wrath that's getting ready to pour out. I love preaching grace. Don't you love grace? Man, thank God for grace or I'd be going to hell. But I'm telling you, we also have a God that's a judge. And we have a God that is a wrathful God. And one day, all those who are not with him will face his wrath. And I'm telling you, this is the beginning of that picture. You know, whenever we said, you know, uh, at the very beginning, what was it we said after these things, this is where we're turning the corner. And here in about two chapters, we're going to begin to see the tribulation and different things is going to happen. And it's going to be brutal. Okay, it will absolutely be brutal. But also, there's some other things about the jasper and the sardis that I want us to consider. Uh, You know, many scholars believe, and and of course it's true, and we'll see it in Scripture here in a moment, the breastplate of the high priest was divine in a very unique way, okay? The first stone, there were 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and the first stone was Reuben. He was the oldest son of Jacob. And the 12th stone, the last stone, was Benjamin. He was the baby. He was the youngest one. And so on this breastplate, you've got Sardis and you've got Jasper. And really what God is reminding people of by being in that image, having those colors, is the fact that he has a covenant with Israel that he'll never break. As a matter of fact, it's the beginning and the end. As a matter of fact, the beautiful thing about God's wrath is this. God's wrath and judgment will not break that relationship. His wrath Will, is never at the expense of his faithfulness. His wrath is never at the expense of his faithfulness. I want you to know his judgments never break his promises. Wrath is going to hit this earth, but anyone that is covered by the blood, I'm telling you, they are secure, and they will not face his wrath. So one of the reasons why that it's Sardis and it's Jasper is because it was the first and the last son, and it was even on the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. I want us to look quickly at Exodus 28, 16 through 20. It'll come up on the screen. Here, uh, here is where they were given instruction in the Old Testament to make the breastplate and what it was to be like, okay? And it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. So that's about nine to 10 inches wide and, and, and long, okay? So it's a perfect square. And you shall put settings of stones on it, four rows of stones. So there's going to be four rows of three stones to be able to get all 12 stones on there, all right? The first row shall be Sardis. Say Sardis. Sardis. Say Sardis. Sardis. So there it is, okay? There's the first sign. It represented, uh, you know, Reuben, all right? Uh, And a topaz and an emerald shall be the first row, okay? Let's move on. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row is a, what, anybody know how to pronounce that? Jace? I've just been calling it a rock, so I like that. So there we go. Jace and a gate, I, I assume, uh, and amethyst. I know that one, okay? The fourth row, I know my stones, man, I'm telling you, all right? So not, not really. Uh, and the fourth row, 
uh, a barrel, an onyx, and what? A jasper, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And God is saying by, having, by coming in, those, in that image that, man, I'm holding on to the promise I made with Israel, but he's still even t- t- painting every picture possible about the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There's a third uh, you know, interpretation of this verse, and that is, you know, there's always a, every one of our names have a meaning. Joey, for example, it means clown. I'm kidding, Joey. I'm joking. <laughs> all right? But, but anyhow, we all, I don't even want to tell you what Bob means. But I can tell you that we all have, there's, a, there's a, 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 a description for our name, a meaning to our name. And the name Reuben, the first of Jacob's sons, means behold a son. Behold a son. The name Benjamin, the last of Jacob's sons, means son of my right hand. Son of my right hand. And many people believe those two colors, those two stones that were very uh, intentionally selected, could mean God and Son. God and Son in glory. And there they are, Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And so you may say, well, Bob, which one do you kind of lean toward? Uh, Which one is right? Is it one, two, or three? My answer is yes. Okay? I think they all hold water. And I think they all even walk hand in glove. Okay? Then we move on to, where are we? All right. Well, I think we're still on three just for a little bit. Thank you, though, for paying attention better than I am, I tell you. And, and he that sat was like Jasper and Sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance of an emerald. So here's, what, here's the deal. Now we're moving from what's on the throne to what's around the throne. And the first thing mentioned is a rainbow. That's very interesting to me. Because what did the rainbow represent in the Bible? The promise and I'm telling you, as we've seen it, uh, you know, with the great story of Noah, and, uh, and I'll get there, it is in Genesis chapter 9, verses 13 through 17, we won't read it today, but you can read it whenever you get home if you want to, uh, it's an incredible story of how as soon as they came out of the flood, God placed a rainbow and said, I promise I'll never flood the earth again. You know, every time I see a rainbow, I don't really think about the earth not flooding, but here's what I think about, God's promise. I think about God's faithfulness. I think about it, that God is steadfast. It's a promise of mercy, grace, and faithfulness. It's just interesting to me that he's got this perfect balance of wrath, but he's still reminding people of his promise that will never be broken. So now we go to the next verse. 4.4 says, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Well, first of all, I can say, the only thing that I see that's consistent with God's word, and that's what we have to stay consistent with, is this book, is that the number 24 in scripture is used as the number of completion. It's also often called the number of representation. But the number of completion, say completion, and representation. Write this down. Uh, I'm not gonna read it this morning, there's just not enough time, but whenever you get home this afternoon, a little bit of homework, Read 1 Chronicles, the Old Testament, okay, 1 Chronicles 24, chapter 24, and chapter 25. 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and chapter 25. I'll say it one more time. 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and chapter 25. Here's what you'll find out. What you'll find out in those, in those verses is that there were 24 officers representing the temple. Say 24. There were 24 courses of Levitical priests. Say 24. 
there were 24 divisions of singers. Say 24. And I'm telling you, it was the number of completion. That's the only thing that I can figure that as to why really there'd be 24 necessarily. At least it's a strong point that goes back to Scripture. So there are 24 thrones, but who is on it? First of all, I want to talk to you about what is on it. Because, you know, there, there's a, a great debate among a lot of scholars about this, all right? And I'll be honest, for me to stand up here and say dogmatically, this is the right one, you know, study, follow leadership of the Holy Spirit, and see where you land. But I'm not going to talk to you about all six of those. Matter of fact, the first four indicate, uh, they believe, their interpretation is that seated on these 24 thrones are 24 angels, and I just can't buy that. And the reason why I can't buy that is several reasons why, okay? Number one, every time the word elder is used in Scripture, it never is used for an angel. Now, we talked about that there are two words for angels in the Bible, and one of those is more along the lines of the function of an angel, and that one sometimes means pastor. And no way am I saying that your pastoral staff are angels, okay? But I'm just saying we're messengers. We proclaim and so there's times, for example, the seven letters that we just walked through, Jesus always began by saying to the angel of the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church, of the different churches that he wrote to. And he was talking to the pastor. So there's times that one of the words for angel transliterates into, you know, uh, into pastor, but no time, nowhere do you see where elder ever means angel. So I do not believe they're angels. I believe that they are men that are sitting on these 24 thrones. Another reason why I would say that is because... Uh, here we go. Nowhere in Scripture do angels ever sit on a throne. Nowhere in Scripture. The elders are reigning with Christ. Nowhere in Scripture do angels reign with Christ. They were created to serve God. They were created to worship God. They were created to carry messages, and especially to people, because they could be saved. And so, another reason, the church has repeatedly promised a co-regency with Christ. I believe they're men. And then white robes. Sometimes they can look at white robes and say they must be angels. Well, yeah, you see in, recorded in Scripture where angels appear in white in places like John 20, 12, places like Acts 1, 10. But I can tell you that so many times throughout Scripture, it talks about believers being dressed in a white garment, okay? Even as recently as uh, to the letter of the church of Sardis, Revelation 3, 5, to those who overcome to the end, you'll be clothed in white robes. To the church of Laodicea who had turned their back, Jesus said in Revelation 3.18, buy from me your white garments. He's saying you better get on because you're not on the train. And so it talks time after time after time about white garments. Nowhere in scripture, last thing I'll say, uh, are angels ever promised a crown. The people are and we lay them at the feet of Christ. But not angels, Okay. And as a matter of fact, uh, many times through Scripture, it talks about those who are faithful to Jesus receive the crown of life. And it, time after time after time, as a matter of fact, even as recently in Revelation 2.10 to the letter of Smyrna, it says those who are faithful will have the crown of life. And that, that, I'm telling you, that statement happens over and over and over. So what are they? They're not angels, I'm convinced at least. Uh, they're men. So who are they? If they're men then who are these men, okay? Some people say it represents all of Israel. And that's what those 24 elders are about. As a matter of fact, if you remember, we talked about the temple and the 24, you know, uh, Levitical priests and the 24 officers of the temple and the 24 division of singers. So I believe these people, these, these individuals represent a mass of people, okay? 
but I, I can't go as far as to say that it's all of Israel. God has made a promise to Israel, and we've already touched base on that, but that promise is not yet fulfilled. Israel at this stage has not yet, by and large, turned to Christ. That's going to happen during the tribulation. We're not there yet. As a matter of fact, 144,000 radical evangelists are going to go and win many Jewish people to the Lord. Hasn't happened yet. These men are already placed on those thrones. So I, I don't believe that's what the reference is. Some people say it's a reference to, you know, those who were martyred, who were saved during the tribulation. But again, for the same reason, I, I don't believe that can be the case because the tribulation hasn't happened yet. The reason why they tie those two together is because there's a place in Scripture that we'll study, not today, but where the people who were martyred, who surrendered to Christ during the tribulation, will be dressed in white robes during worship time. And somebody even asked the question, why are they in white? He said, because they were martyred whenever they surrendered to Christ during the tribulation. But the tribulation hasn't happened yet. We're, we're two chapters away. And so these men are already on the throne. So what I would lean toward is this. I would lean that some people say that the 24, there are split between the 12 tribes of Israel being represented and the 12 disciples. I, I can't push back against that. I think, I think that could be legitimate without a doubt. Um, and then the fourth, and this is the one that I know, that it, it, in many ways it represents the raptured, glorified church. Amen. People who are believers, followers of Christ, those 24, that's who they represent. Now, we talked about what they are, we talked about who they are. I need to rattle through this message because we got to get to why they're there because that's the whole explanation marks of this message, okay? Still a few verses away, but we're getting there, okay? You guys are doing good. Verse 5, listen to what it says. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, okay? This is where you see, now that you picture those beautiful colors and a prism about every color that's ever been created and the fiery red, you know, uh, blood-like uh, color, man, that, it, to me, it would kind of be beautiful until you start bringing these other things in like thunder and lightnings and all this stuff that's going on, voices. That's where all of a sudden you begin to see this picture is certainly a picture of I'm faithful, Here's a rainbow, I'm faithful. Here's, you know, the beginning and the end. But I'm telling you, he's getting ready to declare war on a wicked, wicked world. And uh, you begin to see that all the more whenever you begin to read things like lightnings and thunderings and, and voices. Listen to this. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. Now, a lot of times, again, if I'm not careful, I begin to go back to the seven churches because we just studied those. But everybody say again, after these things... Say after these things, we're in it. They've turned a corner. I don't believe this is the seven churches. As a matter of fact, here's one of the reasons why. The churches are, are referred to many times as a candlestick, a lampstand, right? These are seven lamps of fire that were burning. I believe what's being described here is a torch. This was not a lantern that they carried that would shed light that was kind of in a primitive way contained. This is a burning torch. Torches always represented war. If you even remember whenever Jesus, and of course you remember it, was arrested, what did they come after him with? Swords and what? Torches. And I'm telling you, these seven torches, and what are those seven torches? The seven spirits of God. Now, seven spirits of God, what would that be? Again, the only thing that I see that can say consistent with the book, 
And we got to say con- consistent with the book. Uh, I respect other views. But in Isaiah 11:2, it describes the spirit. And, and there's only one Holy Spirit. Okay? Only one spirit. But here, it defines seven roles. And I want you to listen to what it says. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom. That's one. Say one. one. And understanding. Say two. The spirit of counsel and might, that also means strength, obviously, you would, you would know that. The spirit of knowledge, the spirit of fear, possibly more times said as reverence, and of the Lord, which means he's deity. That's seven. So here's what Isaiah 11, 2, how's how he describes the Holy Spirit, straight from God, because God is the author, not Isaiah, he's just a human instrument. Okay, one Holy Spirit, but there's wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, reverence, and deity. And I believe that's what's being described. But get this, the Holy Spirit is his war torch. This is going to be an unbelievable battle. The wrath of God is going to fall. Man, I love the messages on grace. But it's going to fall. And I'm telling you, I'm thankful it's not falling on me, and it should. I should be the first one struck. But because of the blood of Christ, I'm secure. And it's only because of Jesus. And we all are, and I'm thankful for that. But man, we know a lot of people that can still be reached. They can still be reached. And our role is to be a part of that. Let's move on to verse 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Can you imagine? I won't even define that. But a sea of glass like crystal, again, picture all the other colors that are going on. Picture the colors that are coming, emanating from that. Picture just all these things going on. But then listen, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and the back. Now, full of eyes in the front and the back, what does that mean? That means these creatures miss nothing. They see everything. Now, don't hear me say that they're omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. But what it is saying is they don't miss anything of what's going on in the throne room of heaven. They understand what they're there for, and they will never lose focus on that. Eyes in the front, eyes in the back. So what were these four living creatures? Because I can tell you whenever I see the word creatures, I think of maybe some type of animal. I don't believe they were an animal, and we're gonna, I want to tell you why, Okay. Uh, another piece of homework, uh, jot this down. Whenever you get home this afternoon, read Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 25. Now, I'll say that again. Read Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 25. One more time, Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 25. There is a similar passage here, and there, these creatures are seen at a distance and they are defined in a much detailed way as a matter of fact you're going to see in a moment these had six wings the the only difference i see is ezekiel said they had four wings but then they had still six appendages because the the other two were a man's hands Uh, he talked about the upper part being like the body of a man the legs being straight the the feet being like a calf hoof i mean it's an incredible description and then in Ezekiel 10, 15, if you want to jot that down, Ezekiel 10, 15, he identifies them and they're cherubim. 
Cherubim and seraphim, we sing about those at Christmas, don't we, okay? They are an exalted rank of angels. I'm telling you, they are, they are an exalted order of angels. Angels are powerful, but these guys were powerful on steroids. I'm just telling you, they were, they were the most incredible thing that God you know, had created in, in the ranks of angels. And, and I want you to know that every time a cherubim appears or is, is utilized or used by God in Scripture, they are always associated with God's holy power. The other angels were used for a lot of messengers. But these guys were only used for God's holy power. That's found in 1 Samuel 4 and, 1, and 2 Samuel 6 and 2 Samuel 22 and Psalms 80 and Psalms 99 and Isaiah 37. Time after time. Adam and Eve, if you remember, in Genesis 3.24, whenever they were kicked out of the garden because they had broken the code, they, they had sinned against God, what did God place at the gate of the garden to protect any evil from coming back in? Cherubim. And so I can tell you that Elijah, or, uh, Ezekiel describes a little more in detail what they look like. Okay, let's move to verse 7. All right. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now what in the world would that mean? Well, here's, here's the thought. Uh, in relation to the created world, they had all the bases covered. Because the lion would represent the wild creatures, the calf, the domestic animals, the eagle, the flying creatures, and the man, the pinnacle of creation. God's most treasured creation. Men and women. Okay? Uh, in a little more of a micro way, the lion would represent strength, the calf, service, the man, reason, and the eagle, speed. The point is, all powerful except, obviously, nothing like God. But these beings, I'm telling you, the cherubim, they were a powerful force. And those four are flying. And listen to what's happened. It's saying, let's move to verse 8. Thank you, Brenda. You're doing great. I think, is it Brenda this hour too? Poor thing. She has to listen twice. So anyhow, uh, the, the four living creatures, each having six wings. Now there it is where I mentioned they have six wings. Were, were full of eyes around and within. So even their six wings had eyes around and within. They missed nothing. Now, why would they have six wings, okay? Well, again, to, to be able to go back to another passage is a similar passage, and many of you know this passage uh, very well. It's Isaiah chapter 6, and you might want to jot that down as well. You got a little bit of reading to do, if you don't mind, uh, this afternoon. Hope you do. Uh, here's what you find out. And sure enough, they had six wings, and four of those wings were used for worship, and only two were used really for work, if you would. Let me, let me define. It says, and these were actually not cherubim, or cherubim, they were seraphim. Now, they may be the same creatures. They could even be the same creatures that are here in Revelation. But I can tell you that with the two wings, they covered their face. With two wings, they covered their, their feet. And with the other two, they flew. Four of those identify with worship. Well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, let's unpack it a little bit. The two wings that covered their face, no matter how powerful these created beings created by God were, they could not look on the glory of God. They covered their face. He was holy. He was majestic. 
they would never be even remotely irreverence to look upon his presence, any kind of irreverence. The two that covered their feet, why cover their feet? Because they were standing on holy ground. And they were not going to allow, allow their feet to touch that ground. And two, they flew with. Now I can tell you, four of those used for worship. Two of those used for what I spend most of my time doing. And that's running around like a chicken with my head cut off doing ministry. And look, a lot of the ministry is important. But it's challenged me this week about my worship life. And am I spending time, and it doesn't just happen for 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever on a Sunday morning. Am I focused on that? Well, let's continue to go. We're getting close to being done. Listen to what happens. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were, uh, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. Get this. They don't have to. Day or night. And you know what they're saying? Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Here in a moment, I want us to say those words out loud three times back to back. But before we do, I want us to prepare. I want us to prepare our hearts because I need to say these. I'm not going to say them out loud. I'll get you started. My voice isn't doing real good this morning. But I'm going to tell you I'm going to say them from my heart. And you might want to sit in silence and say from your heart. But I hope some of it keep the rhythm going, okay? But can we say these from our bone marrow? Can we say these from our heart of hearts? Can we say these words in a way of worshiping God? You see, I remember whenever I'd been a believer for about three years. I went through a season for a couple years where I still so remembered the other side of the fence. I remembered a suicide attempt at age 21. I remembered losing my dad a few weeks after that, whenever he passed away. I remembered the addictions. I remembered that I thought my life was a mess. And there was nothing that could rescue it. And I'd been raised in a great church. Hadn't been in it for a while, but I was raised in it whenever I was little. And all of a sudden, there was this newfound love, unconditional from Christ things that I'd done that should have stained me for life and he has sponged my record because of the blood of Christ. And there'd be times that I'd be driving down the road and I don't even know where I'd be heading. Sometimes I'd be driving home from someplace where I'd preached. Sometimes I'd just be out, you know, heading to wherever and I would get so overcome with, in a good way with Jesus that I would pull that car over on a country shoulder where it was safe and nobody else would rear in because I didn't want them to get hurt. And I'd get out of that car. I couldn't stay in the car. And I'd go out in those woods and just lay on my face and worship him. And can I tell you, I have not had a shoulder experience in a long time. I've not pulled the car off in a long time. And I wonder, it's challenged me this week. I worship in where it used to be. My passion has waned. You guys think I'm pretty passionate. It might just be caffeine. Listen, I'm telling you. I wonder if we would make a fresh commitment today as God's children. A renewed commitment. Say, God, I just want to worship you. I mean, the seraphim, four wings were about worship. Only two was about work. And we need to 
continue to work. I already made mention that we've got so many loved ones that are going to face the wrath of God outside of the blood of Christ. And we need to continue to do everything we can to reach them. But I think whenever we get our worship in place, other things begin to fall into place. So we're going to say this three times back to back. And I want us to say it from our heart of hearts, making a new commitment to say, God, this week, if I'm crawling into a three-by-three closet just to get alone, if I'm going out in the middle of the woods, I just want to raise the bar. If I'm in my recliner, I'm going to turn the TV off, and I just want to worship you. Let's say these three times. I'll get you started. Holy, holy, holy. I could read that 10 times and sometimes for some reason in my pea brain it begins to lessen. May we never get used to those words. May I never get used to those words. We have this opportunity and I believe this is a worshiping church but the worship doesn't just take place on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. Listen, the worship needs to take place on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday individually. I need, I need to be about that. Let's see what happens in verse 9. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, here's what happens. Whenever those creatures, whenever they begin to worship, it triggers the 24 uh, elders. Then the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and, to, and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. And listen, it didn't matter their position. It didn't matter their wealth. It didn't matter what they'd accomplished on planet Earth. It didn't matter about anything. I think even a part of placing gold at the feet was saying nothing matters but you. And they placed their crowns. But whenever these, these cherubim are doing this, all of a sudden, these elders begin to... That's the whole reason why. We can say what they were and who they were, but man, the big deal is why. Why were they there? And it was to worship the only one who was worthy. And they fell on their face, and they took those crowns off, and they placed them at the foot of the throne, and then listened to the last verse. Here's what they begin to say, those elders. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now we're going to say that again three times. And I just want us again to prepare our heart and say, God, we want to say this from our heart to you. We want to worship you because you are the only one that's worthy. Let's begin right now. You are worthy, O Lord. I'm just going to tell you, I ought to be the first to go to hell. 
going to heaven because of the blood of Christ and only because of Jesus. And I need to worship him because he's the only one that's worthy. But for those of us in this room who have surrendered to Christ as sincerely as we know how, always, I always say as sincerely as we know how because if that means you think you're supposed to be perfect the rest of your life, you're not and join the club. I'm not excusing away sin. I'm not justifying sin. But I can tell you as long as we're in these human bodies, we're not going to be perfect. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. But for those who have surrendered to Christ, the Bible says, I am holy. Jesus says, God says, I am holy. So you be holy. So right now, because of his blood, we're holy. But the moment our heart ceases to beat for the first time, we're going to be holy holy, holy. We're not being God. We're going to be before him, worshiping him. It's the only attribute of God that's repeated three times. Because he, it's not only that he's perfect, it would be completely impossible for him to ever, ever not be perfect. And he is worthy. Let's pray together. Father, again, we just say, would you help me and help each one of us We would just say, God, I want to worship you in a greater way right now in my life than I ever have. I want to have an intentional time of worship because you're worthy. And God, I know we can do that driving down the road with our eyes open. I know we can pray without ceasing because you're accessible to us all the time. God, I wonder what it'd be like, for me at least, if I chose an intentional time to just worship you. Instead of passing, probably by people that are in need because I am in such a hurry to get to the next meeting. God, I want to keep doing the meetings. They're important. They're with people. People matter to you. And it's always people before projects. But God, still, may we be worshipers of you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask it again in the strong name of our King Jesus. Amen. I'd like to ask that every head remain bowed and every eye closed. I know this message has been to the believer. It's been to those in this room that have already surrendered their life to Christ. You may be here and say, I'm not 100% sure that if I died tonight, I'd spend eternity in heaven. I'm going to ask you to do something that'll take some courage. In a moment, David is going to just continue to play the keys. And if you need to come, You can just have a seat on any one of these front pews. We won't tarry long. You don't have to stand up. You can have a seat. Somebody will come and approach you. If you're at a loss for words, just say these three words, I don't know. We'll know what you're talking about. Let somebody, in a few minutes' time, from God's Word, share with you how you can know that you have this relationship with Christ. Maybe what you need to do is come and pray for a friend. Maybe you just want to come and make, get on on your knees on an old-fashioned altar and say, God... I want my worship life to be the best it's ever been in my Christian life. Maybe you can do all that right there. God, I want to raise the bar in my worship life. Maybe you can do all that right there. Uh, Where you sit or where you stand. But if you need to come, I want to encourage you to come. Let's all stand. If you need to come, you come.